Welcome to Cloud Streaks, which is a podcast where James and I talk about a topic. Today, we're going to talk about how I believe that mindsets are kind of, with every single thing you say, there's like an implicit mindset as part of it, whether you're conscious of it or not. And so you're kind of building a certain mindset or breaking a certain mindset. Um, and I think it's important to build the healthy ones. Um, and so that's what we're going to talk today is about mindsets effectively. Um, yeah. Do you have any thoughts on this, James? Well, I think like, it's, it's really interesting because when we talk about mindset and we talk about bringing awareness to the way that we think on the face or on the surface level, it seems like super obvious. You're like, yeah, of course. Okay. Um, I can, I can shift my thinking to a way that I think will serve me uh, better. But what I find even like really interesting, and this, this started with Tim Urban when he wrote his blog, how to find your perfect career. And mm -hmm. Honestly, I don't think the blog, the name of the blog does justice because what he talks about most of the time is how to understand all of your blind um, or like your implicit biases and the way in which you think being fed into that. So when we're looking at mindset, like there's so much I feel that goes on under the cover that I'm just not aware of. Mm. And when we talk about growth mindset, grit, resilience, all of these different models of how we can change our thinking towards a, you know, I think something that's more constructive. I'm still, I think, totally blind to the way that I, I operate on an automatic level. Mm, totally. I say mindsets are psychological prisons. Um, and so to me, I think you kind of want to be aware of what mindsets you have in certain places and you want to be trying to foster the right mindset in yourself and others. Uh, so to give as a couple of canonical examples that I really like. Um, so Joe Bola is someone who you may have heard me to refer to before. Uh, she's a Stanford professor of education. Um, and she says that in the US um, that she believes the biggest problem in maths is the mindsets. So if you want to improve mathematics outcomes, you need to change the mindsets of kids. Mm. And one of the things I talk about is like fixed mindset versus growth mindset. So there's many different types of mindsets. Um, and they've actually done studies. And so as an example, uh, a growth mindset, which used to be called the incremental theory of intelligence, means that your abilities are not fixed, they can grow. And so for instance, you can get better at maths. You don't, you're not born good or bad at it. Um, and so I actually got back from the US yesterday morning <laughs> and was in you know uh, schools there. And some of them, they've got posters on the walls, like mistakes are opportunities to grow. You know, if you didn't get it right, try again with a different um, strategy, all these things. They're just literally plastered on the walls. Um, now, I'm sure this is not every school, but this is actually the schools that I've been to that has this. And that is certainly not how I remember mathematics being when I was at school, that the concept of growth mindset, you know, hadn't really been invented yet. But, you know, it was like, get it right or wrong, and you're good or bad at math. Um, and so it's like, ah, we don't necessarily need to have better teachers. I'm not saying they wouldn't help. We don't need anything. It's like, but the biggest single thing, according to Joe Bowler, the biggest one thing to help is to change the mindset. And I'm like, oh my God, I think this is crucial. And I actually give a lot of credence to this. Like, I don't know if I have like a well-researched opinion on this, but I think mindsets are absolutely crucial. And I really like that example. Mm. So like one of the things I want to try and bring out from like, you know, the school curriculum from when you and I were growing up is what are they doing um you know with a conscious intention what is that just being laid out before us in the terms of just trying to improve our you know mathematical skills or our overall um you know in, intelligence from whatever class we were doing at the time so like just on the surface level when you when you're doing your math classes we're sitting in a room learning with the implicit understanding that the idea is that we're able to comprehend the the concept that we're being taught to us and then you do a test at the end of the day you get x out of 20. the idea is that if you go to go home do homework you can get you can do better the next day but nothing i for me has ever been expressed on the fundamental level to say that you know by putting through a different mindset you can actually get better at this and i i think that was lost for me for a very long time for me i just thought math was a certain level of difficulty and that I just had to try harder than others to get to the same level of success, as opposed to there is a way which you can continue to develop yourself. Mm. There's a way in which you can continue to grow your own mind through applying not just effort, but a mindset that gets 
out of the way of you feeling like that I am good at maths. Yeah, so I suppose maybe it's worth trying to define what mindset means. <laughs> and I suppose it's taking this like, if you believe, as an example, that your abilities are fixed, then there's not much point trying. You know, mm. it, it doesn't matter. It's like the outcome is predetermined and you, you know, the luck of the draw happened at birth. And this is what I used to think. Um, so this is a very Western thing. There are smart people and there are dumb people. Or you get a bit more granular. Some people are good at math, some people are not. Some people are good at English, some people are not. And so I was good at the maths and sciences and not good at the English humanities. And that was my lot in life. And I was like, I was like, well, at least I'm good at something. You know, it's much better to be good at something than, you know, bad at everything. It'd obviously, it'd be better to be good at everything, but that wasn't the case. And so just be happy that you're good at maths, Duncan. <laughs> um, and so that's a, as a mindset here. Um, the other thing I sort of wanted to talk about, which is another major example, uh, is Martin Seligman um, from Wharton um, or University of Pennsylvania talking about positive psychology and specifically about doing the training on resilience. And a big part of this being able to have people move from post-traumatic stress to post-traumatic growth, or if you got something wrong, this is a sort of more micro level center mass class, that's an opportunity to learn, not a reason to give up on yourself and decide you're bad at something. And so they did a massive uh, thing with the US Army, more than a million people training. Um, and this was in uh, 2011, 2013, 2014, I believe. Um, and they were able to like reduce the amount of post-traumatic stress outcomes from the people going to Afghanistan and to um, Iraq by 80%. But it's not just that post-traumatic stress is less, it's actually post-traumatic growth is more, if that makes sense. So it's not just mm -hmm. that these people weren't hurt, they, they learned from it. So there's an old saying in education, don't let it make you bitter, let it make you better. And so I like the idea in some respects that some mindsets want to continue like fixed mindset on one end and growth mindset on the other, and that there's kind of opposites or whatever else it is. Um, and so through training or changing the mindset, and which they referred to a lot as resilience, they were able to have massive measurable outcomes, changes in post-traumatic stress. And this, I think, is the same thing in a, in a microcosm in, in a mass classroom. Get a question wrong. Okay, I'm just bad at this. Okay, give up. Okay, I'm not going to learn, you know. Or get a question wrong okay resilience what am i going to do here how am i going to apply with a different strategy okay now i've gone from not being able to get it to trying a different way to learning it and having post-traumatic growth uh so of course there's a difference between that and being in a battlefield as an example and under heavy you know fire but i i think there's a lot of commonality between the two um and there's just two examples of universities where they have done a lot of work around mindsets and seeing that getting the mindset right has had a big, big difference, big, big outcome, for instance, on mathematics results or on post-traumatic stress going down. And so I was like, oh my God, mindset is awesome. Or so not awesome, awesome, I suppose, but also extraordinarily important. Yeah, so like, um, I think just sticking on the point of like mindset and what did that mean and how did that change the way in which we approach challenges, um, I think is a really good place to kind of really, you know, start off in, in this topic. So when we're you know thinking about a challenging task or something like mathematics in school or anything that requires application through effort, this idea I feel of resilience is an interesting one because I don't see it as like a full one-to-one -one overlap with growth mindset, but they are kind of related in the sense that when I'm doing you know math and I get questions wrong, for me. The idea of growth mindset, like what you said, you know, don't get bitter, get better. It reminds me of the um, the Buddhist quote, which has been butchered by the self-development world, in my opinion, which is there's no, there's neither good or bad, but thinking makes it so. And so it's the idea of like, well, what meaning do you derive failing or getting an answer wrong? Do you derive the meaning of, well, that means that I'm stupid or that, that means that I, I can't do it? Or is the meaning that here's an opportunity for me to grow? Here's opportunity for me to continue my development. And I think mindset for me is the meaning that you give challenging situations. The meaning is it's an opportunity, not an answer to say this is, this is difficult because I'm not good at it, as opposed to this is difficult and I can get better. I totally agree. Um, so 
there's this saying like either I was right or I learned something. Mm. Mm. Not I was right or I was wrong. Um, you know, so to me, um, if you are not doing well something, that is an opportunity to improve at it. You know, <laughs> um, so if you got the math question right, great. But you know, you might actually learn more from not getting it right. And so, to me, this is getting to a bit broader. I think, or you know, these studies are extraordinarily clear. You can grow resilience. Like they have done a lot of work showing, and they've got courses around this, and you can go and look up. Just type in Martin Seligman Resilience Harvard Business Review, and you'll see the um, articles and links, and you can go and have a look through some of this stuff if you want. I say, ah, okay. So you can, just like you learn mathematics or that you know you learn how to play a video game, you can learn about mindsets, and you can start to build helpful mindsets. And so to me, if you look at the economy and the way that it works, you know, basically, I think it is, an abbreviation, a massive oversimplification. You are your starting point plus effort. Um, now, in something like communism, effort doesn't really matter too much. And everyone's going to have the same starting point, equal starting point. Um, and I think that sometimes there's a lot of indoctrination of victim mindset or learned helplessness. Mm. It's like, this is bad and it's because of the other party. And if you vote for me, I'll fix it all, right? And I don't think that that is necessarily a helpful story. Um, so, uh, for instance, I don't know, some bad things happen to the Indigenous Australians, sure. Uh, you know, and do we want to help? Yes. And so I think helping sometimes comes off in like, I want to help the most possible. Like, you can't help them every single component. You can help them some, and you should. For instance, giving people a good start to life and the opportunity to build a good life. But you also need to help them figure out or understand that part of the responsibility for a good life is on them, not all of it. And you can definitely have someone preclude you from being able to have a good life. Try being a woman in Afghanistan as an example. It's real, going to be real tough, right? But that you can't have necessarily someone give you a good life. They can give you the preconditions that you can then try to build one. And so I think actually a lot of people that are very well-intentioned are unknowingly indoctrinating victim mindset and learned helplessness into people that they think they're trying to help. Mm. They want to give them a good start. Like you want to have access to education, you know, jobs, you know, healthcare, et cetera. But you also need to let them know that part of it is on them. And so that mindset, I think, is really important. So I think victim mindset and learned helplessness, which is a big part of learned helplessness, is a big part of post-traumatic stress, uh, are unknowingly being indoctrinated through a lot of the current policies um, on like the hard left, as an example. Yeah. So like this, this, this brings up two things for me. And I think... I have to be careful because it's, it's, it's interwoven with a lot of nuance. But coming to the, the topic of learned helplessness, which I think does have a very large role to play here. Um, so the first one is, um, you know, this is one of the things that I do feel a more of a alignment with what Ben Shapiro says. So Ben Shapiro, I think he's like the most prominent conservative um, you know, mind in America at the moment. Uh, I found out he's 38. It's like, it's just, blows my mind when I find someone like so renowned and so, you know, and they're younger than me. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, like, you know what I realized today? It was, just, it was like saying like our height and I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm about a, a bit average, but, but you know, I'm younger than the average. I'm like, hold on a second. The average male <laughs> lives to their 78. I'm, 30, I'm effectively halfway through life according to these things. So I'm no longer in the younger half. I'm like, oh God, this is like it. <laughs> <laughs> for me a very happy realization yeah yeah so but like so he spent a lot of time in this arena um and one of the things that he talks about and I, and I feel like he's he's honed it a lot because he was quite um absolute in the earlier days but it's, it's centered around like you you know you're not responsible for the situation that you were born into or the life that you were given but you are responsible for the choices that you make going forward and I think it's largely a rebuttal or it's a counter um, force towards this, you know, narrative that, you know, people on the left, extreme left are trying to um, promote, which is a one based largely on victimhood, which is, you know, there are um, oppressors and there are victims. And if you're a victim, then your circumstances really can't be helped. 
Whereas what Ben Shapiro says, is like, well, that's not necessarily true. Sure, there's a lot of things that have made you disadvantaged in the world, but if you're not going to make decisions or if you're going to make bad decisions, then you're just perpetuating that cycle. Mm. And so I think this idea of learned helplessness is really, um, you know, destructive when people are given permission to think like that. Yeah. As opposed to acknowledging that, yeah, the world's not fair, nothing's equal, um, equity is not something that seems to be aligned with nature, um, but you can still make a choice and you can make quote unquote good choices or bad choices. And I just want to quickly say this idea of, um, you know, what's helpful and what's not helpful, um, I found really, really uh, central to the recent Oxford work has gone too far debate where they tried to make it really clear that the idea the idea of wokeness which is awareness to social injustice and isn't inequality isn't the problem with wokeness it's the way in which it's being applied which is this idea of you are helpless and the world is your oppressor and that puts you into a downward spiral i would say yeah so i would draw a bow and so literally learn helplessness um which in some respect is victim mindset. So something bad happened and you now are not able to do anything about it. You know, you're just stuck there, uh, is a core component of post-traumatic stress, according to Seligman. And you can do training to significantly increase the chance. So one is post-traumatic stress, one end is post-traumatic growth. And then there's like in the middle is like just neutral, whatever it was bad, you know, it didn't haunt you for the rest of your life, but you also didn't make you better or anti-fragile in Nassim Taleb's, you know, uh, uh, lexicon um are crucial so you want to help right um and so as an example uh, if you look at like Rawls John Rawls didn't say that you want to have uh, you know the the um, veil of ignorance the starting point for people in society is as good as possible um so if you were born to whoever it is you know which society would you want to be in um and the only way to defend inequality is if the inequality improves the starting point for people so this, I think, is a really interesting concept. Um, the government, I think, can't, you know, give you everything in life, but they can definitely make it better. You know, they can improve the starting point of things. But we also need, like, so let's just take this as the rights narrative. It is all about liberty. Um, you know, we use a self-determined, you know, you need to make good decisions. And I think that is part of it, but not all of it. And you don't necessarily have full agency. And then the left, the government needs to be there and they need to provide good outcomes and you get the, you know super hard left you know socialism where the government runs everything and so to me i think a better characterization is it's a bit of both <laughs> um yes some people have better starting points than others but in a well-functioning country such as australia um i believe that effort you know matters humongously for those at the top of the starting points as well as those at the bottom and that i don't think we're doing a good job of helping to try to have that mindset of you need to build it yes you want to vote for a government that is improving the starting point so as an example good minimum wage good jobs market good health care good education right but they they can't and if they've tried give you a good life it's called communism and it didn't work <laughs> and so to me it's sort of like a the same way like sometimes really really early people managers um they think that the best manager is the best helper and I said to try to get them to know the best manager is the best person at helping people help themselves. Mm. So you're not there trying to make sure every time they might fall over, you catch them. You're not helicopter parenting them. Mm. You're helping them become self-sufficient. And so this is really important. And I think is not, I think, yeah, the, the, the hard left is pushing victim mindset, is pushing learned helplessness as the way to help, which I think is actually quite counterproductive for certain people. Yeah, so like for me, when I look into a you know one world which is like parenthood, which is mm. a very prominent world in my life at the moment, mm. um, and I don't suspect that this is universal. But when I, when I think about what it means to be a parent, it's, I find it very similar. Which is I'm not trying to raise a child; I'm trying to raise a future adult, which is someone who is self sufficient. And did you just make that up? Uh, I don't believe so. No. <laughs> I'm trying to raise a future adult. That's good. Yeah, but the idea is that I don't want to have a child that's going to be wholly dependent on me when they're trying to create a life for themselves. And and and, and like I guess the point I'm making is that this isn't my own wisdom here. This is a um, I feel like there's an entire um, subculture of 
people who parent like this and you know for that group of people it seems super obvious that like what we're trying to do is we're trying to build human beings who are independent self-reliant uh, and able to go from completely helpless to this very autonomous independent um you know individual and i feel like why that doesn't cross over into other areas such as education uh you know such as your own goals in life your career is interesting because i feel like as a parent it seems obvious like this child is going to find something hard like i think i don't even have to do anything i'm just watch my child struggle to walk and they're like they don't just give up they keep trying it it built in them instinctively to want to get up and try and walk now maybe it's not 100 percent instinctive maybe they watch us walking around thinking like that looks like a good idea i want to you know have a bit of that but you can see it play out in a almost a autotonic way that they don't just give up when they know that they want something there's this you know underlying conviction that if they keep trying they keep trying they keep trying they'll get there mm. and so it's a really really profound thing that now that my children are a lot older than the baby years where that's you know inbuilt and now we're talking to them about like hey you want to go into you know you want to go into the water and they're like i can't swim and so what do you do there? Like, do you say like, all right, that's fine. You don't have to go into the water because you can't swim. Or you were like, like, okay, well, like maybe we can try. Maybe we can do things that will get you comfortable to the point where you feel like you're able to, you know, give to me a go. Mm. So one of the um, models I have for what a good teacher is, uh, so level one or base level, if you take Maslow's hierarchy of needs and you're kind of trying to transport that into teacher things is behavior management. So, you know, you can't have the kids running around and bullying each other, et cetera, et cetera, right? The next one is the relationship. So good teachers are very, very good at building relationships with students. Mm. Then the next one, they often call motivation. So good teachers are good at building motivation in kids that they want to, you know, try in class and they want to believe in themselves. And motivation, I think a lot here, they'll talk about growth mindset, not fixed mindset. How do you go through this thing? So it is mindset. It's another synonym for mindset. And then on top is teaching. Whereas a lot of people think, oh, how good are they at teaching? Like, well, that's the sort of self-actualization phase, you know? Um, and so they are really, really good at building students' motivation. You know, want to try at maths, having resilience, having a growth mindset, right? And so you see the same class, like seven, you know, E going from one teacher, you know, to the next class. So they go from whatever maths to science to, to whatever. And you can see that the motivation of the kids on average goes down. Now, there's always some kids that you know really, you know, don't care or try obstreperous, whatever. And there are some really motivated ones but the percentage that are trying in some classrooms is like 90 percent motivated working and the percentage that are trying same kids might be 20 percent in the next class because the teacher hasn't got this and so i don't think this is again thought about enough in the way that a lot of the left leading media is pushing things at the moment um so just to give you sort of one um slight more thing here and maybe i should show this the next point one of the core things to good learning outcomes and learning, I suppose, is the microcosm of good life outcomes. If you're going to, I suppose, hopefully do well academically, you can hopefully do well from a job perspective. You can hopefully do well from like a relationships perspective is high expectations. So they say you rise to the level of your expectations. Low expectations, bad. High expectations, good. Unrealistically high expectations, bad. There's a Goldilocks middle or Aristotle's golden mean. And so I think in some places, people feel that helping is lowering the expectations as much as possible. And then this is patently shown to not work, especially for those kids who come into school struggling, <laughs> you know? And so it's like interesting. Okay, okay, okay. We are here trying to help. We're not saying, oh, it's all on you. And if you didn't make good decisions, your life is bad. Like, no, no, no. We should be trying to have a good starting point and we should be trying to have society indoctrinate helpful mindsets, not harmful mindsets. And victim mindset or learned helplessness or low expectations are in some respects synonymous, just like post-traumatic stress. Mm. And so I think we should be doing better at, at you know helping build the motivation of people, helping have the story that they need to be part of their life, not all of it, but part of it, and helping have high expectations for people. Yeah, so I, I think like, um, oh, it's just, it, it reminds me of my old man, like one of his favorite quotes, when he said, James, when much is given, much is expected. <laughs> yeah. and, and I, and I thought about that for a long time, but I, I think, um, you know, trying to cut through all of that, it, the idea that, you know, one way of trying to create the best life for yourself is to, you know, have this North Star, to have this goal 
in mind that you want to strive towards and then move in that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I think need to be um, you know, careful about is you know, whether it's too high or whether it's high expectation and without a clear pathway of getting there can be counterproductive sometimes. You know, Jordan Peterson says like, you know, choose a goal and then find what is the smallest, you know, interval that you can concede in order that will get you there, um, you know, in one uh, constrained task or whatever it is, as opposed to, you know, highest expectation is I want to be a millionaire and like, well, I've got no idea how to achieve that. So I'm just going to give up on my goal. So it's about saying, well, what, you know, what is the smallest thing I can do to move towards that on a, um, you know, I think if you want me to try to help, they say you want to have very ambitious goals, but mm. very pragmatic next steps. Yeah. And that it's going to be a lot of steps. Hopefully you live a long time and you can take steps forward, hopefully almost all days. Um, and so, yeah, um, I think having a plan is crucial. <laughs> you should, um, hope is not a strategy. Um, and yeah, sorry, keep going, James. But the other part is, um, you know, what you talked about with motivation. I think mm-hmm. it's really important and you, we could talk about this on its own like one of the things about motivation is that usually um it doesn't precede action motivation um, builds out of action but it's both you know, a leading and a lagging indicator yeah yeah but what i think is really helpful here because i think it does time back to mindset and growth mindset um is intrinsic motivation and this is something you and i talked about you know a while back where um the realization that you know, we move towards things. We are applying ourselves to through effort for whatever it is that, um, you know, whether it's our careers, whether it's our relationship, whether it's something else. We find that when we're intrinsically motivated, I, I believe, um, it's a far more powerful force than any form of extrinsic motivation. Um, and I do remember uh, Huberman talking about this, where he said, like, you know, they did a test with a bunch of kids, these were kids, and they said, like, you need to teach, you know, youngers um the math quick some math problems and they split the groups up and one said like you know this is going to help you grow this is going to help you become better at math and the other one they said um you know we'll, we'll pay you 15 dollars. you can go to movies afterwards mm-hmm. and so the kids who were paid were like looking at the clock just like doing the bare minimum that they had to do whereas the ones who were more interest, intrinsically motivated were much more involved in the task itself and they were actually they went over the time they were enjoying it a lot more the, that's the other point that I wanted to make here, which is like the, the the intrinsic motivation makes you more invested in the process of having growth mindset, I would say. Yeah, I think so. So where this started off um, is like mindsets and how they're crucially important and how whether I think you're aware of it or not, almost everything you say comes with an embedded mindset. And I think we're kind of talking about a continuum here one of which is like growth mindset versus fixed mindset. Um, another one is post-traumatic growth versus post-traumatic stress. Another one is like victim, you know, oh. mindset, which the other sort of end versus I'm going to be able to be part of the story. I'm going to, you know, bad things are going to happen to me, but how I process them and whether they define me is up to me partially. Um, and so I think that you know, if, you know, resilience is another one. Like, do you have high resilience or you just give up? It's the same sort of thing on a, con- a continuum. Um, and that this is a proactive thing that good teachers think about building, right? This is a proactive thing that they can train people in the US military on. You can build your resilience, as an example. And if, you know, if you give up, well, you're probably not going to go very far. You know, it's hard to beat the person who never quits. And so, this is crucial um and so all those people they talk about motivation and again motivation is one part of mindset one of the biggest components and i'm going to think the biggest there are multiple things is whether you've been making progress at something so if you have not been progressing then you give up right um and so this is really interesting well how do you think about this and so it's like well if you're not motivated you're not trying but if you're not trying you can't progress and so it's intertwined. So normally effort times strategy equals progress. <laughs> uh, and you need to figure out what the strategies are or strategies you've added and leveled up in. So again, I think that this isn't part of the public discussion at the moment, is what is the most helpful mindsets? It is a big, big, big discussion in education, like mm. growth mindset versus fixed mindset, or an analogy of this, 
with um you know motivation is a considered you know in a lot of places more important necessarily than like i don't know teaching constructivist versus instructivist approach or whatever like the quality of a teacher is partially or largely seen as this whereas i don't think society is necessarily considered to be teaching its populace you know the population that that, that is important if it makes sense it's more like oh we need to have extra funding for this or, or whatever else it is and i'm like i'm not against that funding I, i'm not saying that mindset is a panacea i do think it is part of the picture and a crucial part mm. and unfortunately a lot of the mindset that's attached to things is actually the harmful one not the helpful one but people think they're helping so it's insidious mm. or it's spurious yeah so like this insidious thing around how mindset is cultivated. Yeah, um, I think it's the same in work and in school, which is, um, and and I'm and I'm keen to get your thoughts on this, Duncan. But there's to overly generalize. There's 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 two dimensions. There's input and there's output. There's the effort and there's the result. Mm. And it's and it seems like for me, a lot of if not all of the focus goes into the output or the result. Right in school, you see a student like trying their absolute hardest, applying themselves, studying extra hours. And getting the same results as a student who, you know, just sat down and they just went through the test, and both seem to be get both seem to get the same level of acknowledgement. Now I know in schools like um, the one that you and I went to when we were young had this second dimension of like effort applied, you know, like you know you got your grade and then you got an effort score. Um, but it's the same thing. I feel like really? they, they, had that, they had that at Glen Morgan, dude. Yeah. yeah. I don't have any recollection of that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, you get like, a, you know, they, they would say like a, a B1, which is like you got a B, but you put in maximum effort, is better than an A2 because like you've got it, you know, they were trying to say those things. So, okay. oh, yeah, this is the first time. <laughs> okay. Go, go through your old school boxes, mate, and see if you can find them. I don't know. My parents have to get turf those things a long time ago. Anyway, it's gone. Yeah. But this is the thing, right? If we've got a challenge around the mindset, which is, well, what are we rewarding more, the outcome or the effort? But I think, like, outcome is kind of like the end state that, you know, we want to try and, you know, have the outcome of an independent human being, have the outcome of someone who can be productive and, you know, have a rewarding life. Those are all outcomes. Mm -hmm. But for me, I feel like that if you, if you look toward the effort, the um, the reward is not immediate. It's something more long term that makes it a lot harder to, to cultivate. But it does seem for me that a gross mindset can be, um, you know, fostered through placing more emphasis on the effort than the outcome. Yeah, definitely. There's one of the core tenets of of um, growth mindset is reward effort, not outcomes. So mm. it's, it's definitely part of it. Um, but so outcome is input times the, what you, whatever you're doing, right? So it's not just effort. Effort that doesn't lead to progress mm. normally means giving up. And so what you need to also is to have a strategy for how you do this. If you didn't get it right, try again with the new strategies. One of the things that I'll say for you know mathematics. Um, one of the things you were talking about earlier um, is extrinsic versus intrinsic motivation. Um, and I think we're sort of shifting around from these things, but most. Um, things start extrinsically motivated and then hopefully move over to be intrinsically motivated mm. um and so it's not necessarily like and also doing things from an extrinsic version uh reason can be healthy like doing things from an intrinsic reason can be unhealthy so as an example some people become obsessed with their weight you know and unfortunately you know become bulimic anorexic or whatever else it is right and this is intrinsic motivation right <laughs> like you know and, and they can't stop it it's like an obsession you know, some people, no exercise, oh, it's bad. Too much exercise, bad. No food, bad. Too much food, bad. No work, bad. Too much work, bad, right? And so a lot of these people that are, you know, we call it, it's good obsession. Like I read a lot and people say, oh, you know, I'm obsessed. And they go, well, that's a healthy habit, right? But if I did, I don't know, this much exercise, I'd probably have injuries all over the place as in physical exercise, not mental exercise. Um, and so it's interesting. Um, the other one, just to talk about, you know, Yuval Harari, Money is the point system that we have invented for the game of life. Mm. And whoever has more points is winning, you know, so the richer people on average. Now, that's not that simple, but I know a lot of people from a career perspective 
they were only motivated in the beginning because they wanted to make money, <laughs> Jane. And this is a perfectly acceptable motivator, in my opinion. It doesn't necessarily, it, it, it's agnostic. It's not like money is good or bad. It can be both. And so I actually am less worried about extrinsic versus intrinsic motivation necessarily. And I'm less worried about teachers that have, for instance, because they can get this right. Like you have to have tests. I think no test is bad and you get grades on it. And that in some respects can be looked at as zero sum. And do you want to do well? Like, yeah, normally, hopefully, you know. Um, and so that is a reward of some kind. Like if you did well on the test, are you happy? Like, yeah. If you did badly, you sad, like probably, hopefully, you know. And whether, whether there was some money attached to it or not, you know, you might, you might try it even harder if there was money. Do you know what I mean? And so these are extrinsic tools. Mm -hmm. um, and so again, like I think it's it's really interesting. Like it's not that simple that intrinsic is better than extrinsic, or that extrinsic is bad and intrinsic is good. Um, it, you know, to me, ultimately, you you do want to be motivated and part of its mindset. But you know, where we sort of started off is it's like, are there some people that are attaching mindsets they're unaware of when they're trying to help? And I think the answer to me is yes. Um, like victim mindset, et cetera, and that they don't know. So this is this is not at all conscious. Like they're very well-intentioned people trying to help and they just don't know. And I'm like, oh my God, it's just happening in more places. Mm. Yeah. So like, um, I definitely agree to your point that, um, you know, extrinsic motivation done well yeah. can be, you know, net positive. So there's no sense in like demonizing it. And I do think it is necessary in some places, right? Um, you know, you, I, I'm, I'm surprised you haven't pulled out, you know, you learn to read and then you read to learn. Yeah, exactly. And so the process of learning to read is very frustrating, at least in my observation of young children. And you don't have an appreciation for what that will empower you to be able to do once you have that ability. Right. Mm -hmm. So my eldest, she, you know, she, I would say very legible, like she can read now and she gets so much enjoyment out of doing it. But it's very hard to like, um, you know, crystallize that for someone when they're first just starting out on their like A, B, C, D, like, why am I doing this? <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I agree. Like, extrinsic motivation can get you going. I guess what I want to try and make sure I, um, I circle back on and, and clarify is that I feel like if intrinsic motivation is a component of gross mindset, mm. Right. Um, I feel like if you're thinking about maybe I don't, I don't think it has to be. Well, I think for me that if I believe if I believe that um, you know I'm not good at X, but I can get better. Mm. I believe that ease comes through effort and you know well directed effort. Then for me that process of struggling, that process of applying myself, there's an intrinsic motivation of me getting better or growing. Well, I just right. say this is because you think you can grow. It doesn't mean you want to. Yeah, right. But I mean, like, it's just, it's like, oh yeah, I think I can get better at maths. But I don't care. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of seventh grade kids, right? Yeah. So just because you've been able to help them sort of break out of what was the standard indoctrination of you're born smart or dumb, and you know, in the in the West anyway, um, and that's not really from the East. You know, you you you're good at things you've you've spent the time leveling up in, doesn't necessarily mean you want to, right? Mm -hmm. And the good maths teachers, so see. Like, you know, what do we try to do with Ed Rollo? This, and this is an oversimplification, but there's two core things. We try to make it as easy to understand as possible. That's not making content that's easier. It means you can make it actually harder because <laughs> it's easier to understand, right? And that's not enough because, but if they don't understand, they're normally going to give up. Like they just kind of stand. But then we're also trying to make it as relevant as possible. So you can have, say, fractions that is relevant to a seventh grader or irrelevant. And then that's part of motivation. So if you can't make any progress because it's hard to understand, well, you're not going to go much right. But just because you made it easier to understand, like, why are we learning this? If you ask a lot of math teachers in Australia, that's the number one question they get. Like, why are we learning this? And you're like, don't worry. Don't, don't ask questions. Let's learn, right? And the good ones are able to help explain that. So it's super interesting, yeah. Yeah. So, um, like, that reminds me of uh, Grit by yeah. Angela Duckworth. So, you know, so she has her own equation, which is, you know, talent times effort equals skill. And then effort time skill is achievement. And so you can kind of like see how this, you know, builds itself up with this idea of, well, like, it's not, you know, talent is better than like something that's fixed in somebody. It's, I guess maybe to swap she, out. Did you say talent? Yeah. Sure about that. Uh, talent is, in my opinion, quite a 
fixed mindset thing. You're born yeah. with a talent or not. Well, I think it's an, one of those you know things where the words itself doesn't help lend the point. Of I, think, I think it's counterproductive personally. Yeah. Because or maybe it's ability, or maybe it's capability, or maybe. So, it's, are you sure that it was the word talent? And just I would, surprised. I would say I am sixty-five percent. <laughs> so like, this is the thing. Like someone, like if you look back, we were all hunter gatherers until very, very recently. And there were basically two jobs, the man job and the woman job, right? Um, and so you weren't born talented racing car driver. You know, oh, yeah, Lewis Hamilton was a born F1 driver. No, he wasn't. He was a born hunter-gatherer. <laughs> right? It's ridiculous. And so-and-so wasn't born, like Einstein wasn't a born physicist. He was a born hunter-gatherer, like everybody else. And so all of the jobs, like there was like, what did you, what do you do? I hunt and gather. What do you do? I, I have children and raise them, you know, and, and that that's it. And so the whole idea that there's like internal passions and I'm mm. like, none of the jobs you do today existed even a hundred years ago, mm. even farming, which is the biggest one. You're not doing sitting in your tractor, listen to podcasts in air conditioning, you know, rolling around, like, uh, you know, this is it, farming. It's, a, it's, it's technically the same title. It is 0% the same, you know? So there are literally no jobs that were around, right? none. Um, and so to me, yeah, this whole concept of talent that you're somehow born this or that you have like, oh yeah, this person was born to be an engineer or, or like, you know, whatever. You're like, no, they aren't. They were born to be a hunter-gatherer. That's the only thing possible. So yeah, you don't have potential. You're not born with talents. You Things are built. Um, it's like, from my perspective, very hard that the biology can possibly be defended in this way, you know? Um, so, yeah. Well, I mean, like there are parts of it and, you know, we don't want to go down the rabbit hole too deeply, but when they talk about the, the differing roles of the gender and, you know, to oversimplify, men are more interested in things, women are more interested in people. And yeah. so you can start to kind of like draw out from that, well, that kind of makes sense why there are more male engineers. That kind of makes sense why there are more um, female nurses. Mm. And so I, I look, I will meet you in the sense that the word talent, I think today, has a meaning that facilitates more of a, this fixed mindset yeah. um, approach. And I don't think that's helpful. Yeah. Like, I don't think that saying like so-and-so. I'd talent. be very confident that talent times effort equals skills is not what Angela Duckworth wrote because she is legit. Um, I think Carol Dweck and Carol with Growth Mindset is more legit. Um, but I would be I would be very surprised if she used the word talent. All right. Well, like we're going to have to follow up. On <laughs> just Google it now. But this other thing. Um, what were you, you know, something you just said that I thought was quite interesting, and I've forgotten. It. Oh yeah. So if we, we, I don't know if we want to talk about this, but like men and women are not a hundred percent the same, not a hundred percent different. Like you can look at like, we don't have the same body parts, right? So we can't be a hundred percent the same. Like it's just a, a, a axiomatically impossible. Um, on top of that, the hormone levels are not the same. And so if you give, so for instance, men have more testosterone. And if you give testosterone to women, their voices start to break. Like go from like, you know, sort of feminine voices to sort of, you know, masculine ones. They start to get facial hair and stuff. So it is clearly seen that these hormone levels have effects. And so if you look at a species, the bigger one of the male or female does the defending because the bigger one is better at it, right? And in the majority of species, the male is the bigger one, but it's not always the case. So there are some species where the female is the bigger one. And in that case, the female does the defending. Um, so the jobs of males and females were not equal. It wasn't that, you, you know, men cannot have a child. Um, and also, if you're bigger, then it's your job to do the defending, right? Um, and so you know, why do, um, you know, women and children on the Titanic get put on the, the, the ships, uh, the boats first? Not because the evil patriarchy decided they should go down with the ship, you know? When there's a war on, who's going to fight? You know, back in the day, like, you know, the, the, the bloody, you know, you know the, the English are coming into Scotland. All right, well, Scottish, you know, we're going to defend. All the men go defend and all the women run away. Why? Because that's the way that optimised the number of humans. Okay, so men had to fight and to defend and they had to go and catch animals to bring food whereas women needed to do more of the nurturing of children as a literal biological imperative so a lot of things i think can be explained by darwinian you know evolution which one optimized the number of humans that's what was built for okay so women therefore liked humans more 
because they needed to, to care and men needed to be braver, if you want to call it that, or less worried about their personal safety. And you can see this with like male teenagers versus female teenagers and male teenagers doing a lot of dumb stuff, right? On average. And so then out of this, you're like, ah, okay. Well, we're not 100% the same, we're not 100% different. Well, one of them sexes on average likes humans more. And the other thing, liking humans less, you can say is liking things or whatever else it is. And so there was symbiosis, simpatico. Um, it wasn't that one sex was better or worse than the others. They worked together as a team to optimize having the most number of humans possible. And the humans that did that outbred the other humans. Um, it just so happens that today, some jobs scale more than others. So if it's a human-centered job like teaching or nursing, you can't have a classroom of 25 or a classroom of 250. It just doesn't work, right? Whereas if some jobs like engineering or finance, if you're managing $25 million or $250 million, it's the same, right? You don't, you don't, you don't need 10 people to do it. Mm. Or if you're engineering, like you're doing artificial intelligence, chat GPT, you can make it and it scales on the computers. Mm. So some jobs are their nature can scale more and the ones that are human-centered can't. And so as such, the pay for those things on average can't be as high as the ones that can scale. And so this is not some insidious plan you know, put the women and children on the ships, you know, the boats, save them or send the men to go and die in war. It's just literally what optimized the most humans. Mm. So there are biological differences because this is how humans prospered. Now, I'm not saying there aren't social constructs to masculinity and femininity or to males and women. There are. But I think there are also, as clearly demonstrated by biology, biological differences. Mm. Um, what the future should be, good question. We haven't been able to change our biology anywhere near as fast as society has changed. Again, even though there are still farmers today, they are not doing what farmers 100 years ago did. So literally 100% of society has changed pretty much. Yeah. And so we, our biology though is pretty much the same. <laughs> and so it's like, ah, okay, are there secondary impacts in this? Yes, there definitely are. What does that mean? I don't know, but we're off on a, this is not what we were meant to be talking about in this podcast. <laughs> yeah, but we've gone off on a tangent, but like that's the whole point of having ocean structures. Yeah, it is. But like, I think just one last point that really, um, you know, made it a lot more, uh, clear for me was like the way Jordan Peterson described it is, you know, we're more similar than we are different. You know, if you're in the middle, if you are, um, you know, examining someone based on their level of aggression, you know, and, you know, six times out of 10, you will guess correctly it's a male, right? So like six, six to four, it's very close, but it's at the extremes. When you go all the way out to the 99th percentile, they're all men. And so it's a similar idea of like, well, you know, you've got the patriarchy of all the men have all the wealth and they're all in the top you know, see the job. Well, that's the most highly competitive jobs. And that's where you have like highly aggressive individuals towards competitive behavior. Mm -hmm. is, I would say there is an overly indexed reward system for that type of behavior. And so that's, again, to your point, like why people look at this as a corrupt or what is it? A conspiratorial patriarchy versus like, this is actually human nature being played out. Mm. Um, and I will also say, Duncan, yes, Angela Duckworth does mention talent. Does she? Okay, what's the equation? Hit me. Um, all right, well, so she talks about, um, you know, talent needs drive to succeed. Uh, talent counts, but effort counts twice. Um, I, I don't think there's much evidence of talent. Like, yeah. I, I would say that Joe Bowler would say that, you know, well, actually, like, there are people with um, an impediment, like a starting point. Yeah. Like, you know, hardcore ADHD, hardcore dyslexia, hardcore ASD, et cetera, right? Um, I was, I was but yeah, Her definition of talent um, is how quickly your skills improve when you invest effort. Do you think that's fair? So I would say that your mind is the sum of the upgrades that you've done to it. And mm -hmm. upgrades are quantity times quality. Mm -hmm. And that your quality can improve over time. And it can improve because you've learned ways to get it to be better or others have shown you better. And so as an example, I guess, guess what, James? Good teachers matter more than bad teachers. Oh my God, like, just stop, stop saying some insightful stuff. What do you want for your children? Like, you know, good teachers. Does everyone remember having a good teacher at school? Hopefully. Does everyone also remember having a really bad one? Unfortunately, probably, right? How much learning happened with the good teacher? A lot. How much learning happened with the bad teacher? Not much, right? You know, so can you have others help you learn faster? Yes. Can you over time get better at being your own teacher and help yourself? Sure. So the concept that some people are born better at learning or that they're naturally, you know, good at being a basketball player, 
um, to me, is not defendable um, through the literature as well as, you know, you know, um, like thinking about it from a first principles biological perspective. So, yeah, um, that doesn't mean some people learn faster. And like, why? Well, that's a very good question. They've learned how to do quality higher normally. Yeah. Um, and what is the secrets inside of that? Well, good teachers normally do. So they've got the same periods, they've got the same amount of math, right? Time, but a lot more learning occurs. Mm. Well, it's much higher quality. Yeah. Well, I, I, I want to make sure I'm, I, I position myself well and truly on the growth mindset side of the fence. Yeah. And say that this is in my mind, the mindset I want to cultivate for my children and like myself personally. Sure. Um, but I do think that there is something to be said about the genetics part. Like it's, it's hard to ignore people like, I can't remember this kid's name, three years old, and he can, you know, count to 10 in like 15 different languages. Like they, he made he made the headlines because he's like the youngest member of Mensa. Like, and like I can see how you would be able to convince a three-year-old to wrote memorize counting to ten in fifteen different languages, but I also think that for some people, certain things come in a more accessible fashion than others. And now that's not just because you have certain wirings in your brain that make you superior to other people, and you can you know you can grok the concept better. It might well be a number of different components and like what i want to be careful of to say like there is zero like biological factor or there is zero thing called talent as opposed to saying well if we just focus on talent too much we're going to lose the battle on trying to cultivate this idea of fixed growth mindset versus gross mindset because like i know that there is a very strong sense that if we you know give things over to talent too much then it's just going to be completely lost in what this idea of like, well, look, if you apply yourself, you know, well enough, then your ability to improve through effort also increases. Like, no, no disputing that fact. I've quite looked quite a lot into this child prodigy thing. Mm. Um, so the like, if you want to the crash course, there's an ABC in Australia TV show called Building Child Prodigies. And I think that the title, like prodigy, in my opinion, is a very fixed mindset concept. Mm -hmm. um, so I think we talked about this. Like the Western canon is net net fixed mindset. The Eastern canon is net net growth mindset. So as an example, Jesus was born and he was God's son, and frankincense, golden myrrh from the three wise men that came and you know visited him, and so he was always destined to be this special person, right? Whereas Confucius was just a wise dude that you know built himself and leveled up. You know, Buddha was just a wise dude, right? And I remember saying something like, Oh, yeah, he's a prince. Um, uh, but, you know, he then left and, you know, threw off the shackles and then went and did the leveling up, et cetera, right? Yep. And I remember an Indian saying this and said before, Oh, Jesus is just your guru. I was like, No, Jesus is not our guru. Jesus was God's son. He's special, right? And so this concept, for better or worse, is indoctrinated into the Western people from birth. And you don't realize, like, that it is. And the, that you're, the people who, were, so if, if Aristotle was the main person that was talked about and you didn't have, so the church had a monopoly on education until we had the um, you know industrial revolution and then you had schools. And what were they indoctrinating? God, you know, heaven, hell, you know, Jesus special, et cetera. So it's like deeply in there, right? Um, and so to me, um, this isn't to say there's not biological differences, but we're talking, people conflate, well, your you know, hair color and your height you know, they are determined, or height is, you know, biology times nutrition, or whatever, right? Um, <clears throat> there is not, so if you look at these child prodigy things, what they have done is an extraordinary amount of work. I mean, they've done 10,000 hours of whatever, being a ballerina by five years old, and most kids have never done zero hours of ballerina. Well, they've done 10,000 hours of physics by the time they're eight, and most kids have done zero hours. And so they've just done the work. They didn't come out able to speak. So when that kid that can do 10 languages wasn't coming out and it's like, oh yeah, he's, you know, German and he's Mandarin. And it's like, oh my God, like nobody can speak, right? And so to me, reading a headline and then saying that somehow this person is a prodigy and that somehow biology is, in my opinion, large overreach. What the studies and then what Joe Boller would say, and I think this is reasonable, is that there are biological differences, but they are effectively irrelevant versus the upgrades that you do. Mm -hmm. Where the people are struggling, so it's not like you either have dyslexia or you don't. It's a continuum, like you know, sort of I don't know, zero percent dyslexia to one hundred percent dyslexia or something, right? And 
you know, all else equals better to have zero. Like I've got like 10% dyslexia. Like it's a very, very mild version. Whereas some people cop like 90% dyslexia. <laughs> I don't know what portion of the, the, the thing. So anyways, um, <clears throat> there is scant evidence, but you, you see, and what I think James did, this, the, the narrative fallacy. Oh, I've heard this and it is blah, blah, blah. And it's like, nah, that kid just did a lot of work. So there is not a single prodigy that I'm aware of that hasn't done extraordinary amounts of work in that area. Mm. Like, adult levels of work, <laughs> right? Um, and But they're five. And so if you've done like literally as many as like seven hours a day of ballet for four years and you're seven, right? You should hopefully be pretty good at it, much better than the average seven-year-old. This doesn't mean that you were special as in at birth with talent. It just means you've done a special amount of work. Okay. Yeah. So um, this has been a really interesting conversation. <laughs> Thank Starting you. off... <laughs> Starting off the idea of, um, you know, I think it would resilience and growth mindset and trying to, you know, explore our understanding of what we think is what it is that we mean when we say mindset and then what we think, um, you know, are some of the applications of that. So for me, um, like I personally believe very strongly that growth mindset is a really powerful tool, um, not only in my own life, but in the way I approach parenting. Uh, and the way that I try to approach relationships as well, and which is that whatever it is that I'm, what, whatever challenges I'm faced with, I can get better at facing those challenges over time through focus and application of effort. And for me, that's, that's incredibly liberating to know that by applying myself, I get the intrinsic motivation of seeing myself improve. Mm. Uh, and so that's not to discount extrinsic motivation. I agree sometimes that when there is no apparent intrinsic motivation, like learning to read for the first time, mm. if there is an extrinsic motivation there, then that can get you going and then suddenly it does get internalized, no doubt. Mm. Um, but then this idea that we're seeing in the world today where we're trying to you know, push up against this, this growing idea of victimhood, victim mentality, learned helplessness, as opposed to, um, and you know, like the system is rigged or you you are oppressed. As opposed to mm. taking complete ownership of your own, uh, like quote unquote destiny, which is like it doesn't necessarily lend itself to being the fact that you had the same start in life as everyone else, but you can take responsibility for the good and bad decisions that you make going forward. Mm. And I think by applying that fact. You can have a, you know, a much more aligned sense around. I can continue this improvement journey ad infinitum if I continue to just believe that the further application of effort that I make, you know, increases my talent, which is increases my ability to level up, uh, as Angela Duckworth would say. Yeah. Yeah. So let me tell you this: like, um, if you if you look at the average American today their life is better than the richest american when buffett was born buffett says this which was john d rockefeller so they've got access to the internet they can have food that's delivered they've got a fridge they've got air conditioning you know they've got a heater they've got a washing machine etc cetera, etc cetera. you know they've got a car that is you know much better and so on right and so to me what we want to do is improve the starting point of people um as much as possible but then also have them have the mindset that they need to use that starting point to build a good life. Giving everybody the same starting point is called communism and effort doesn't matter. And the starting point is a lot lower. And so to me, Rawls would say that the only way you can justify inequality is if it helps improve the starting point for those at the bottom. And I think it's very, very hard to say that, yeah, look, maybe does it ebb and flows and maybe like, I don't know, 20 you know, 16 is worse than 2015 because Trump gets into power or something. <laughs> but like, is it, you know, better than it was 20 years ago? I, I like to think so. In America, unfortunately, the, the minimum wage hasn't gone up in line with inflation, but in Australia, it sure as hell has. Right? You know, we have the highest minimum wage in the world on a purchasing power parity basis. The only year that has gone up less than inflation, as I understand it, is the current year because inflation's gone through the roof. Um, but I think, or there's like one or two years in the last 30 where it hasn't. But on average, it's much more of an improvement. So to me, the system, I don't think is rigged, uh, you know, even in America where I think the system is a lot worse than Australia as an example. Um, and that we want to improve the starting point, but having an equal starting point for everyone is not possible. And I don't even think is even optimal. 
because you want to improve the starting point across the, everyone from top to bottom as much as possible. And that having inequality done well is a feature which improves the starting point for those at the bottom. But you then need to not have this victimhood, the system is rigged, you know, victim mindset, et cetera. Um, you need to have, cool, we are growing the pie as much as we need to split it in the way which optimizes you know, the starting point for people, which then actually is a secondary outcome, grows the pie as much as possible. Because if you have people being able to achieve if they put in the effort, you know, the, the most meritocratic society possible, and it's not equal to be everyone the same, you grow the pie as much as possible. This is like a super long-winded way of saying, I think we need to be careful of victim mindset of the system is rigged, all that stuff talk about, you know, learned helplessness, which I think is being indoctrinated in a well-intentioned way, but is having counterproductive outcomes. Um, and that good teachers and good parents, as an example, where there's a lot of evidence of this, are not indoctrinating victimhood. <laughs> they are motivating people. You know, they are building self-belief. And that society at large, I think, should try to do that. And I, and I feel, unfortunately, it's actually doing the opposite in a number of ways. All right. Sorry, super long, James. <laughs> yeah. Cool. All right, Duncan. Good chat. Bye.